0: Welcome to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by The Pulp Net, your link to the online world of the pulp magazines, since 1996, online at ThePulp.net. This pulp event podcast features the presentation, Eight Feast of Farmer, Philip Jose Farmer's Early Science Fiction, with Michael Crotto, of Farmer Khan, and Meteor House, and Arts Ippo. The talk was recorded on Friday, August 8, 2014, at Pulp Fest 2014 in Columbus, Ohio. Here is Michael.
1: Hello. Uh, welcome to our second PharmaCon presentation of this Pulp Fest. I'm um, Michael Coutteau. This is Art Sippo. Um, before we get started with the actual presentation, I just need to make three quick announcements. We actually made these last night, but for those of you who weren't here, um, Meteor House, who puts on PharmaCon uh, just as three quick announcements, one is uh, we're publishing a book sometime in the next six to 12 months, hopefully, uh, called Airship Hunters, which is by Dwayne Spurlock and Jim Beard. I don't know if either of them are here yet. Uh, I think they're both supposed to be here tomorrow. Um, uh, the book is called Airship Hunters, and it's a book they're writing together. It's a lot of fun. Um, we have a, if you have our program, if you've seen our program, which is a riff on the later Startling Stories covers from August of 52, which we'll see up here again in a minute. Um, we made two announcements in there. The first one is that Christopher Paul Carey will be writing the Foundations of Core Trilogy. And this is a spin-off from the Opar Cocarsa novels, um, Phil Farmer wrote the first two, and Chris finished the third one, The Song of Kwasin. But this, that was actually a project we wanted to do later. We had another project we wanted to do first, but we had to get uh, the blessing. We, we wanted to get the blessing of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Inc. And we emailed them a couple months ago, sent them a certified letter, didn't hear back until yesterday afternoon. We actually heard back from them. I got an email, and they gave their blessing. They were very kind. And so instead of the Foundations of Core Trilogy, um, which we'll make Chris write eventually, um, he's instead going to start with uh, Hadan, King of Opar, which is something Phil had mentioned in an interview or two, and Blood of Ancient Opar, two novellas that he'll uh, write over the next couple of years. So we're very, very excited about that. And um, the third announcement, which was the big news really coming in here, is that um, for those of you who've read Phil Farmer's A Feast Unknown, that's the first novel in a series, the second two being The Mad Goblin and Lord of the Trees, which were, the first novel was X-rated, the next two are PG-13, your typical action-adventure violence. Phil then announced a fourth book called The Monster on Hold, and even published a chapter of it in a um, World Fantasy Con program. But then he never finished the book and we finally got everybody on board got all the contracts signed just a few weeks ago and when scott eckert who wrote uh the evil in pemberley house with phil farmer will be completing the monster on hold so we're, we're just insanely excited about that so those are the announcements in case you missed them if you weren't here last night um we don't have a ton of time so i'm going to get started on our program here which is basically, um, I don't, I'm i not sure what it finally got called in the Pulp Fest program, but it's uh, Phil Farmer breaking in through the pulps. Now when I mention Phil Farmer's name, most people don't immediately think Pulp Writer. Uh, having done Phil's website since 1996, I hear from people all the time who are just discovering him or read him years ago and they're rediscovering him. and. Really, the River World series seems to be you know the first thing people know. And if you just go up to a stranger in the street, and I do this, and ask them if they've ever heard of Philip Jose Farmer, if they say yes, there's a very small chance they'll say yes, the River World series is usually what they know him for. Uh, the next thing, which way do I aim this? There we go. Uh, the next thing, believe it or not, is the World of Tears series. Uh, which seems to be a favorite of just about everybody who's read it, and I put the sorry I put the book club covers up there, and I know we're all book collectors and we all despise book club books, but these really were great for Phil. I can't imagine how many tens of thousands of people discovered Philip Jose Farmer because of these two books right here. Um, again, having done his website for, for many years, I've heard from a lot of people that this was the first thing of Phil's that they read. Uh, Another thing that got people into Phil was his two biographies of Tarzan and Doc Savage, which led to his Wold Newton family and the whole Wold Newton universe and the whole Wold Newton movement that is really a big part of PharmaCon these days. Um, Another thing, if you mention Phil Farmer's name, what people think of is sex. Because he's the guy who put sex in science fiction. He not only, you know, in startling stories there, um, had the lovers, um, he later on, like a lot of authors did to make money, he wrote porn books, but he actually put his name on the cover instead of a pseudonym. And his were all science fiction, and they weren't, I don't know if I'd call them porn, because they aren't really titillating. There's there's sex in there, and there's violence in there, and there's action in there, and there's, again, lots of sex, but you're not reading it for the enjoyment of the sex, it's, it's more the shock value of it. Um, and really, those are the four, the first, probably the first four things people would think of when you ask them about Phil Farmer, what they know about Phil Farmer. Uh, but really, he was a child of the pulps. He grew up reading the pulps. And he got his start writing for the pulps. And I'm going to turn the microphone over to Art Sippo, who's going to give you all kinds of fascinating details about that early stage of his
0: career. OK, thank you very much, Mike. Uh, Phil Farmer began his writing career in the mid-40s and the first story that he really put out to be published was the story O'Brien and Obernov. Originally this had been submitted to the Saturday Evening Post and they were willing to publish it. So Phil started off on the first shot he was going for the slicks and almost got there. The problem was that the story had a component of uh, excessive drinking which was just not anything they wanted to deal with. And they wanted him to excise it from the story. But it was integral to the story. Uh, just to give you an overview, O'Brien and Obronov are the respective American and Russian commanders during the end of World War II who have taken over a town in Germany and split it in half. and the uh, the story is that there's a russian war criminal who's been captured by both of their men straddling the line that goes down the middle and each one of them wants to get this guy and take him in for prosecution but they keep trying to find ways of breaking the tie and they can't do it and the drinking contest is their solution to this now this is a very unusual story it does not sound like a 1940s story to me Uh, It it has a lot of elements. There's black humor in here. There's a little bit of the biological function stuff, but nothing that would have been offensive. Uh, But it's a very funny story. It's an amusing story. And there are a lot of elements in here that you will see in Farmer's work later on. In particular, he recognized the ethnic diversity both in the United States and in Russia, uh, which was something that most people were not aware of. Uh, He was... uh, always looking for excessive elements with humor, um, you know, going to extreme ends, almost surreal ends as they're trying to break this tie. And it's very much a farmer's story. Uh, originally, uh, when he had submitted this to Saturday Evening Post, uh, the editor, Ben Hibbs, suggested to the farmer that if he didn't want to change the storyline, he should uh, give it to a friend of his, Kevin, Kenneth White, who is the editor of Adventure Magazine. A pulp magazine. And indeed, that's where it was first published. This story has been anthologized in uh The Best of Philip Jose Farmer. It's, it's the first story in the list. The second story that Phil had published was The Lovers. And this was from Startling Stories, August of 1952. This was a landmark issue for Startling Stories. In the recently published book in the series, Worlds of of Philip Jose Farmer This is the one that's just been published and has been offered here Uh, There is an opening essay by uh, Robert Silverberg The science fiction author that you're very familiar with And he talks a little bit in detail about the magazines at that time And he makes the point that there were three major magazines in science fiction at that time All being edited by John W. Campbell but all of which were publishing shorter versions, novella-length versions of stories. Um, The Startling Stories was coming out of the box trying to give a full novel-length story, and many of the people who were writing for Campbell in the novella range were coming over to Startling Stories to give stories that were full novels. Farmer gives his uh, story The Lovers, Uh, And in this issue, Startling Stories, as we heard in the previous lecture, it had tried to continue the stories about Captain Future, who was a very pulpy character, who, uh, you know, we had uh, women flying around in helmets and bikinis in outer space and this sort of thing, which was a staple of the pulps. Uh, But Startling Stories wanted to get better. They wanted to get more realistic. And as a result... Uh, they decided that they wanted to do something new. And according to Bob Silverberg, there was a lot of buzz for several months that Startling Stories was gonna come up with something very special and very significant. And in fact, in Startling Stories, we have this little note. Gosh, I can't really read it from here. Uh, but this is a note that was included inside the book. And it mentions that you know, Captain Future is no longer going to be published. That he belongs to the, quote, ice age of science fiction, that they're going to move forward to a different period in science fiction. And this is, Im- this is critically important. The August 1952 issue of Startling Stories basically is the end of the pulpy space opera science fiction. It's the end of uh, Captain Future, who was an extremely popular character, basically Doc Savage flying around in space. And it was the beginning of an attempt to have more mature themes. And Phil Farmer's story, The Lovers, it was about as mature as you could get at that time without getting in trouble. Um, the basis of the story, is, as Ed had mentioned, is that uh, there is a, uh, a man who lands on a planet and discovers that there had been humans there before from a previous expedition. And this is important because actually this relates back to a story that will be published later in the series, which I'll talk about. In my opinion, that other story, uh, which was, uh, uh, let's see, it's Rastignac the Devil, was probably written first and he couldn't shop it around. Because there are elements in The Lovers that relate right back to the story. You had to really understand Rastignac the Devil in order to Understand what was going on in the lovers. Um, but in any case, uh, he discovers one of these uh, women who claims to be held captive, and he's trying to protect her. But it turns out that she's not exactly what she seems. And the uh, human culture from which this young man comes is very repressive. Uh, this is the first instance where we hear about the sturge. Uh, the state-run church, which was one of the things that Phil Farmer was very concerned about. He was seeing this arising in various places in the world at that time, in particular in places like uh, the Soviet Union, where they were doing mind control and using social controls in order to uh, keep people in their place. And The Lovers is really a story about a revolt against that and a return to basic human emotion. And that's the critical part of the story. Basic drives, basic emotion. Uh, it is a, it's a marvelous story. I agree wholeheartedly with Ed that it still holds up, and I highly recommend that people read it. I would recommend, though, that if you get the chance, you should probably read Rastignac the Devil first. Not quite as good a story, but it will help to explain to you what's actually going on here, give you a little more background into the world from which this comes. And that, Rastignac is actually in the public domain. You can get it over on Amazon in electronic format. The next story that he did was in December. It uh, was published in December, 1952, again in Startling Stories. And this is the story "Sail on, Sail on," a very interesting story. It takes place in a world where science has moved in different directions, where uh, some of the commonplaces of modern science don't exist the earth is flat various different other changes and differences and this was an attempt on phil's part to try and take the conventions of known science and to demonstrate what you would have to have in order to have a world that was different a world that was more like what the medievals thought it was though we should mention nobody in the medieval world thought the world was flat that was an old idea you know, since the Greeks, they always knew it was round. But they did have other ideas as to uh, how uh, the winds worked and, and the, the oceans worked. And this is a, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek story. This story was reprinted in the first volume of the uh, Worlds of Philip Jose Farmer with an essay by Phil that explains what he was trying to do there. And uh, it's very interesting. I'd highly recommend that you read that. The, the next thing, the third thing that he sold to Startling Stories appeared in the february 1953 issue it was a poem sestina of the, of the space rocket i have not been able to locate a copy of this one uh, but uh, this was something that phil had been doing all along in his literary career when he was in college he had many poems published in college publications so he uh this was a big period for him he had three major stories or actually three major publications and startling stories within about a year The next story that Phil uh, had sold was a story called The Biological Revolt. And this was in a magazine called Science Fiction Plus in March of 1953. It's a very strange story. Uh, This was one of Hugo Gernsback's publications. Uh, Unfortunately, Hugo decided to rewrite the story and Phil thought that it was a complete fiasco. Uh, he was very unhappy with the way he had handled the story and pretty much disavowed it. They did do a reprinting of the story of The Worlds of Philip Jose Farmer Number 1 to kind of correct some of the uh, the changes that had been made. And the story here, once again, is dealing with uh, matters of sex. Uh, There is a, a scientist who has an incurable disease, and his wife refuses to go near him. And uh, at this time, the Earth and Mars are about to go to war, and this scientist thinks that he's got a way of giving Earth the power to defeat the Martians. The problem is he's got two moral dilemmas. The first is that he wants female companionship, and he's willing to trade his information for that. And then also he has the dilemma that He's not so sure he should give this technology to Earth because of the way war technology has been used in the past. He's worried that if he does that, it will be misused. And so he's he's balancing his own personal desires, his own personal concerns, against a higher moral principle. Very very interesting idea. Moving on, in Thrilling Wonder Stories, which was another... uh, magazine, sister magazine to Starling Stories, Phil published in April 1953 issue, uh, the story Mother. Uh, now, this is a fascinating story uh, involving xenobiology, but it also has a whole series of themes about uh, psychosexuality, about uh, relationship between parents and children. In this case, the mother of the protagonist, is a scientist and her son is captured by this monster Uh, and the monster is has entrapped him inside herself and his mother's trying to uh, assist him in escaping and this was one of the things that you find in farmer's work he broke a lot of gender biases and a lot of race biases in some of his characters he's the first one that i'm aware of that uh, has as matter-of-factly that there are women scientists or that there would be you know, a woman who would be uh, concerned in taking care of her son. You know, this is something unheard of um, in, in the science fiction realm. Uh, Mother was a, a fascinating story, and it involved, as I said, some issues about incestuous concerns and about the relationship between parents and children. Uh, it is a fascinating story, and it's one of my favorites. The next story that was published by Phil was Moth and Rust. Moth and Rust was uh, published in Startling Stories in June of 1953. It was the official sequel to The Lovers. It occurred in the same world in which The Lovers occurred. And this was uh, an interesting story. Uh, It has never been republished since 1952 until now. (laughs) It is republished in its original form here. Phil later reworked the story into a novel-length story uh, called The Day of Time Stop. It's also called A Woman a Day is another title in which it was known. And he changed it significantly. In my opinion, I prefer Moth and Rust to the change because Moth and Rust is more consistent with the lovers and more consistent with the theme that was going through it, even though I think that he had good reason for doing it and that his changing of the story demonstrates some maturation on his part. In the current book, I have an introductory essay in which I go into some detail about what happens in the story. And you know, it's at this point I, I, I want to talk a little bit about some of Phil's concerns. Uh, Phil Farmer was very concerned with certain topics that go through his work. You know, everybody knows about the sex stuff. Okay. They also don't realize he was very interested in religion and wrote several stories that have a religious. Theme to them. Some of them don't sound like it, but they actually do. Um, in Moth and Rust, the very title comes from Matthew's Gospel. It says that you've got to put your treasure where Moth and Rust are not going to destroy it. That's where that comes from. In this story, uh, there is a character who is a uh, physician who is part of an underground trying to defeat the same government, the hijack union. This is, the, this is another little pun that Phil has. Hijack is like Hawaii and uh, I, f- I forget the other type. Israel? Is is, hmm? Israel's in there, Hawaii, uh, Austria. Anyway, it's, H-I, it's H-A-I-J-A-C. And uh, basically this is a pun on that these people have hijacked away the rights of the people. Uh, the story has the sturch running things. They have an electronic machine that they use to test people, called the Elohim meter. And if you pass on the Elohim meter, then you can advance to a higher level. You get a golden lameth to wear. And then you become above reproach. Now, I don't know how many folks here are familiar with Scientology, but this is one of the devices that L. Ron Hubbard and his people developed actually in the early 50s just before this story was published, early '51, Dianetics was evolving into Scientology, and they were using the e-meter to do inventories on people. And if you are familiar enough with Scientology, you will immediately recognize that Farmer is targeting this. Okay, very definitely. There are also elements in the hijacked society that are very similar to what you find in Mormonism. Uh... I go into some detail on it in my essay. So he was going after these uh, religions that he felt were doing massive social engineering. He didn't like the idea of using electronic devices to inventory people and he didn't like the social structuring that was going on in, in religions that were highly structured like Mormonism. But in the story there are characters who are portrayed somewhat positively and these are african christians there's two types of african christians that are mentioned Uh, a more sophisticated group which in my opinion as i say in the essay parallel protestantism and a much more uh basic group that are more like catholicism now we need to know a little bit about phil's background i think to fully understand what's going on there phil was raised in a christian scientist home now, I don't know how many of you know much about Christian science. Everybody knows that they think that you don't, you know, you don't need medicines, that you're going to be cured by uh, prayer and, and getting your mindset straight. A lot of people don't know some of the more details about Christian science. Christian science does not really have an understanding of a personal God. God is an impersonal force that permeates the universe. The real point in Christian science is that the world is an illusion and that you can't trust the things you see. That you gotta get beyond it, you gotta go underneath it, and that things on face value can't be taken seriously. Now, anybody who knows Phil Farmer knows that that's one of the themes that runs through his work from beginning to end. The world of tears, it goes through the river world, it goes through several of his works. He was always somewhat skeptical of authority, and he was never quite sure that he could trust anyone but himself to make proper judgments. Now, Phil gave up on Christian science as he grew up. Uh, he basically became an agnostic, and then he said that he was an atheist. But he was a very odd kind of atheist for two reasons. One, he believed in the immortality of the soul and in eternal life. And he, st- he stipulated this in a little essay, that's, I think it's in Pearls of Peoria, okay. that's been reprinted.
1: Yeah. I don't remember specifically.
0: Yeah, but I, I believe it's there. He also was very attracted to Catholicism. Uh, and we're going to talk a little about that because that has impact on some of the other stories that he wrote, the Father Carmody series. And I think we can see the reason why in Moth and Rust. Catholicism was very exotic in Peoria. Okay? Uh, Christian science was part of the transcendental movement in New England that came to permeate the country, and it was very. Uh, uh, Straight-laced, it didn't have a lot of, it had no real worship services. And in fact, most Protestantism with which Phil would have been familiar in his day would have been mostly going to church and hearing the scriptures promulgated. And there wasn't much ceremony in that, maybe a little singing, that's all. Uh, the, uh, the rites of Catholicism seemed much more exotic. They, uh, there were bells and smells, there was all kinds of things going on there that appealed to man's lower nature. Okay? The most primitive part of your brain is the olfactory lobe, where you do smelling. All right? And that in many animals, that's the main thing that keys off several reactions uh, in behavior. And Phil was perfectly well aware of this. And I think that what he liked about Catholicism is that he thought it was closer to original human life. Strangely enough, he doesn't seem to have known much about Judaism, which I think he probably would have found interesting if he had had studied it. But um, for this reason, Phil was fascinated by Catholicism through most of his life. And even There's a a place in the river world, and I'm I'm forgetting which, which volume it is, where there are all these crazy places in the river world where resurrected people are creating societies, and they're doing strange things, and they're enslaving each other, or they have They're socialists or they're Democrats. There's one place where there is a prince who is a good Catholic who sets up a Catholic kingdom. And the Catholic kingdom functions according to the principles of the Catholic church. And uh, according to Phil, it was working fine. And that's all you know about it. He didn't have anything negative to say. And I think that he was somewhat attracted to Catholicism because he felt it was more basic than the other religions. Uh, I think he became a little bit disenchanted in the 1960s because Catholicism started to try and modernize. And that turned him off a bit. He liked the old fashioned stuff. In any case, uh, the story in Moth and Rust is how the lead character is supposed to uh, replace a dead alien implant, a dead alien spy, with a duplicate. This spy had married one of the high officials in the hijack union, and this is charged with doing this so that nobody knows, because they're using this woman, she's one of the uh, alien women from The Lovers, and they're using that to undermine the hijack union. And it, it goes on to talk about how this, this whole thing is going to come apart. Uh, you know, at the end of the story, the hijack union is starting to fall apart. Uh, the, uh, the story in Moth and Rust, if you understand it as basically an attempt to find uh, religion in the high-tech area as being damaging to human nature, and the preference for something much more low-tech, something closer to where the people are, the smells and bells kind of thing. If you understand that, that's what Phil was going after in the story. OK, enough on that. Uh, There's a lot more detail in the book. Uh, I'd recommend you get it and and read the essay. I think you'll find some other interesting details. Now, the next story that he publishes is interesting. It's Attitudes. And this is the first Father John Carmody story. And this story is about the, the basic premise of the story is that there is this fellow who is gambling with alien natives. And he has telekinetic power, so he's cheating. And he thinks that he's winning on this game and uh, that he's going to fleece these aliens of everything they have. But for some reason, his powers aren't working. And in the ship's complement is this Father John Carmody. Uh, And we find out that Carmody had been a little bit of a roué in his time and that Carmody actually has powers greater than this young man's and that he is interfering with the young man's winnings for a good reason which I won't go into. But it's a positive uh, rendering of uh, a priest who is trying to save a young man from his own vices. All right, this is the, this is the first John Carmody story. Uh, there, there are gonna be a couple of more as we go along. Strange Compulsion was in Science Fiction Plus in October of 1953. Very odd story. Bill had a couple of these stories where he tried to invent evolutionary schemes for reproduction that were not typical and that he thought paralleled things that occurred in nature, that, you know, in the non-human world. And in this story, uh, there's a father and daughter on a spaceship who have been infected with a disease that, when it infects uh, a species, it then uses the reproductive powers of the species to reproduce themselves. And here, once again, we have incest. As a problem. Another theme that was important. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit, but just keep this in mind. Sex and incest, uh, these are things that Phil really thought about. Uh, the next story was from Fantastic Universe in 1954. And this is another sex story, but it's not really a sex story, it's a reproduction story. They twinkled like jewels. Uh, in the title. This is from a line in the book where uh, the government is taking people and putting them away in special prisons. And there are certain guards that are taking care of them. And they have uh, experiences with these odd looking people who all have the names, uh, last names are the names of various species of wasps. And uh, the, you know, the twinkling business is you can see this in their eyes if the light hits them just right. And what this is, it's an alien invasion story. Uh, as you are probably aware, Or some of you may or may not be aware, some species of wasps deposit their young inside the bodies of living animals. And the, uh, they devour them on the way out. They devour the hosts on the way out. And that's what this story is about. And again, uh, this is, there are sexual wiles that are involved in order to induce people to do this. But this is exploring another method of reproduction. Yeah. The next story was in Thrilling Wonders in 54. You can see Phil was pretty busy. He was cranking these things out pretty well. And Daughter is actually the sequel to the story Mother. And it's, it's actually somewhat comedic uh it involves the same creature that had devoured the hero in the other story except that this time um the uh the uh, there is an animal called the Ulfway who is trying to attack the inside of this creature and eat it and believe it or not this is actually a takeoff on the tale of the three pigs <coughs> and again very well done uh, you know, he's just, just, just a cute story. Uh, now, in Argosy, in March of 1954, this is not really a science fiction story, but it's a, it's a future fiction story uh, about uh, the Cold War and about the outset of World War III. A man is on a ship. He's leaving his wife to go home to uh, live with his mother. His mother has always been taking care of him. He was an abused child. Uh, the father used to abuse him, and the mother used to protect him. And the, uh, the wife is, is telling him that he's not strong enough, his mother is taking over his life, he needs to break away from her. Well, in the, in the middle of the ocean, a submarine uh, shoots a torpedo into the ship. He's the only survivor. And the submarine is a robotic submarine with a female type personality on board that is uh, trying to get him to help her. Because she uh, she's uh, has damage, and he, he's the only one inside that can help. So uh, what this actually is, is this, the story, um, I won't go into the details of the story, but this is actually a story that talks about adultery and how adultery interferes with uh, one's life, uh, how you have to break away from the maternal strengths and the pater- parental strengths, and it's, a very, it's very interesting. Uh, once you understand that, I think the story becomes a little bit more comprehensible. Uh, I'm getting the high sign that I've got to keep moving here. I told you I had more stuff than I could handle. <laughs> let's, let's go down to Rastignac the Devil. Okay. okay. Rastignac the Devil is, in my opinion, the first story in the series that includes The Lovers and Morth and Rust. And if you read this story, and then you read The Lovers, you'll see what I mean. Basically, in this storyline, the French have gone out into space, they have colonized worlds, and uh, in the one world, there are three species there, uh, amphibian species, reptile species, and human species. And the way they keep from tearing each other apart is that they have these skins attached to them which control their minds and their behavior. And what happens is that the, uh, there's this fellow Rastignac who realizes that it is sopping humans of that drive, that fire, that caused them to advance. Everything is stultified. And Rastignac makes an interesting comment in the story. He says, you know, 30 years of the Borgias, with poisonings, uh, uh, intrigue, and wars, and we got the Renaissance. 600 years of the Swiss, we get the cuckoo clock. So basically, what Rastignac is trying to do is reintroduce uh, violence into human society and, and physical force. Interesting storyline. And uh, again, I think that this helps us to understand a little bit of what's going on in The Lovers. A very similar concern, except this has a biological control, whereas The Lovers was using a, uh, uh, a mechanical control. Uh, social controls, rather. Uh, I'm going to skip on down to totem and taboo. Okay, totem and taboo. Uh, the story title comes from a book by Sigmund Freud, who wrote a book about what he considered to be the use of totems among primitive people, and basically the primitive people identify with a particular animal who, and they try to emulate this animal's characteristics. Um, and this becomes a sacred animal to them. They will either eat the animal or they won't eat the animal. It was all, it was all very Freudian. In the story that Phil wrote, he has a, a gentleman who has a drinking problem. And his wife says she's going to leave him if he doesn't get the drinking problem taken care of. And so she sent him to a psychiatrist who gives him a drug that makes his totem animal come out. And the totem animal concentrates all of his bad characteristics. Uh, this was a setup by Farmer, I think, of the whole premise of Totem and Taboo by Freud. He realized that that was a bunch of nonsense. Um, in fact, uh, one of the things that uh, we're not going to be able to talk about everything else that goes on. Oh, Lord, I still have two pages worth. But you're going to find this out. Um, Phil wrote some of these stories. As you could tell, he was lampooning some of these social control things. He lampooned a lot of religious ideas. There was a story Toward the Beloved City where he lampooned some of the attitudes to uh, what was going to happen uh, in the end of the world you know, in the book of Revelation. He tried to show how ridiculous it was. There's another story which is marvelous. Uh, it's called um, A Bowl as Wide as the Earth. Now, in this story, uh, this, he's depicting the afterlife. And I've, I've seen people say, oh, the story he's depicting is the afterlife in hell. All right? I even say, oh, this is purgatory. That's not what it is. He was describing the pale, pallid afterlife as it was described in most of the religious people, uh, stories of his time. Okay, in this land, everybody has the same body. Nobody is different. Uh, there is everything around you is edible. You can't be injured. You can't die. Okay, so you have immortality. You have no hunger, uh, but it's boring. You don't have anything. And in particular, for Phil Farmer, the thing that really bugs him is there's no sex. <laughs> and you know, in, in this, uh, I don't know whether any, any of you have read A Letters from Earth by Mark Twain, but Mark Twain mentions this as well. And I think probably Phil got an idea about this. From these Letters to the Earth are you know, uh, Satan writing back Uh, To heaven about what he discovers on earth, and one of the things he says is, you know, all these people think that there's no sex in heaven; they have no idea. Uh, And I think you know that that is something that uh, really Phil has hit on something there. That we have to face that human sexuality is a whole lot more than what people thought. It's not just for procreation; there are other issues involved, and. that's why in, in you know, a bowl as big as the Earth, uh, he's taking on this bland idea of what the afterlife would be. Now, I've, I've got a whole lot of other things that I can mention. Uh, there's tons of stuff. Uh, we have the early uh, elements that became River World were also published at the Pulps. Uh, eventually, though, the thing that was the real breakthrough for Phil was he had a story called The Writers of the Purple Wage. Which was in uh, Dangerous Visions, edited by Harlan Ellison. And that was the big breakout piece for him. Once uh, that had gone out, he really became noticed more. And after that, this is back in 1967, he began to write more in anthologies. Uh, he started to write more standalone novels that were published directly. Uh, and uh, he did write for some other magazines, uh, but for the most part, uh, he was re- really writing most of his work in uh, uh, standalone things and in, in standalone novels and in, uh, uh, anthologies. Um, the, uh, in short, Phil was an iconoclast. He did a lot of different things. And there are themes that run through his work uh, themes of sex, death, uh, sexual relations, uh, incest, a lot of these concerns that nobody else was talking about. And he made them an important part of his fiction. And it's why, that's why many of us, when we read Phil's stuff, we say it's literature. It's not just science fiction. It's not just entertainment. And I think that was also one of the reasons why Phil was a peculiar taste for some people <coughs> in that period. And I guess we've run out of time, and I, I thank you for listening. You've been listening to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the Pulp Net, when your next adventure was just a dime away. Please visit us online at thepulp.net. Thank you for listening, and keep reading the Pulps.